Welcome to the Humanitarian Leadership Academy podcast, Fresh Humanitarian Perspectives. Globally, many families are preparing for the start of a new academic year, with children and young people currently starting or returning to education. But in countries and regions around the world impacted by emergencies and crises, millions do not have access to education or safe learning environments. Even before the pandemic, an estimated 127 million primary and secondary school-aged children and young people living in crisis-affected countries were out of school. The focus of today's podcast episode is Education in Emergencies, with a regional focus on Asia. I'm Carmen Parkinson, Communications and Marketing Advisor at the Humanitarian Leadership Academy, and I have the honour of being joined by our two guests today, Soso Bagashvili and Efren Labukin from the HLA's Asia Regional Centre, who will share their professional experiences, expertise and insights in this area with us. Soso, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Kaman. I'm Soso Bagashvili, a head of HLA's Asia Re- Regional Centre. My full job title is Regional Head of Capacity Strengthening and Partnerships for Asia. I lead a team of HLA's capacity strengthening and professional development program experts that Efren is a member of, together with the partnerships team in Asia. I'm based in Tbilisi, Georgia. My humanitarian career was incepted in Save the Children Georgia country office back in 1997 when I joined as a volunteer intern. And since then, I've been working mostly in advisory roles with over 20 Save the Children country offices across the continents mostly supporting with their emergency preparedness and a response, uh, resilience building programming and partnerships, including in conflict settings in Asia. I also worked with various INGOs, uh, such as uh, Norwegian Refugee Council, uh, International Rescue Committee, World Region International, Health Age International, at uh, country, regional and uh, global support levels. That's fantastic. That's great to hear your long and varied career in the sector, particularly the 20 Save the Children offices. So thank you for that introduction. And welcome, Efren. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Thank you, Carmen. Uh, I am Efren Lubugin. I am the Regional Professional Development Program Manager of the Education in Emergencies for Asia. I am based in Manila, Philippines. Um, my academic background is into education policy and management. I used to manage education projects in post-conflict areas with fund support from uh, various official development aid like Australian DFAT and USAID uh, education projects. That's great. Thanks so much, Efren. So thank you to you both for taking the time to join us today. Soso, would you like to start by telling us a little bit about the HLA Regional Centre in Asia that you head up? Italy and uh, Asia International jointly launched Asia-Pacific Regional Partnerships and Localization Hub um, late January in 2023. Uh, the hub serves as Humanitarian Leadership Academy's regional center that is comprised of partnerships and humanitarian capacity strengthening, education in emergencies professional development program, as well as partnership staff under SCI's Asia Regional Operations Department. Uh, the Asia-Pacific uh, Hub uh, team leads on the delivery of Save the Children's Asia uh, Partnership Strategy, HLA's core strategy, 2022-2024, uh, 20, drive forward localization and capacity strengthening agendas, 
engage the movement and the sector-wide ecosystems in Asia, provide needs-based support to country teams and partners in the region. Um, we also identify opportunities in the accessibility and uptake of learning solutions at the national and local level, ensuring these opportunities are seized for the benefit of the local communities in which Save the Children works. Over the last few months, we have been delivering operational and technical trainings to our local partners, civil society organizations in conflict settings such as Myanmar, Pakistan, engaging CSO representatives in our country office, emergency response team trainings, as well as emergency preparedness planning in countries such as Nepal and Sri Lanka. Um, and we're scaling up our reach of local and national actors, including current partners with such and other capacity strengthening initiatives in Asia Pacific. So we are now working on organizing a regional uh, humanitarian operations programs, training the trainer course in Asia for solution and country staff, as well as other actors in the countries solution operates in. That is to take place late October, early November this year. Um, we are also supporting service and country offices with facilitation of their in-country localization self-assessment workshops where they establish baselines against the seven domains of localization, as well as country-specific localization action plans. In addition, there are a number of country and regional level education emergency uh, professional development program initiatives that Efren will talk about. Thank you, so so. That's so interesting to hear and impressive that just since the start of this year, this your centre has been able to establish itself um, and working in, in countries including Myanmar, Pakistan, very sort of geographically dispersed locations across the continent. Um, and it, it sounds like you've done that really quickly and established yourself in a in a responsive way um, through through these partnerships and the relationships that you hold in the region. So that's really that's really interesting and impressive. So for this discussion, I'd like to hone in home in on the work that you do in the critical area of education in emergencies, or EIE for short. So to help frame this discussion, I thought it would be useful to take a look at the the bigger picture of EIE. So the Interagency Network for Education in Emergencies calls education a life-saving intervention. They say that when children and parents living in emergencies and crises are asked what they need most, time and time again, they say they want to continue their education. Through research conducted with Save the Children, it was found that 99% of children in crisis situations see education as a priority and 69% ranked education among their three highest priorities. I mean, for me, I thought that was very interesting that the children themselves are saying that it's not just their families that recognise the critical importance of education. Um, in the short term, during an emergency, education can provide safe space for children and plays a major role in child protection strategies. And in the long term, it helps to protect against future threats to well-being and livelihood, livelihoods. But despite the critical importance of education, according to INEE, in 2020, education 
received only 2.4% of total humanitarian aid. And Save the Children research found that less than one third of refugees were enrolled in education at the secondary level and also with significant differences between boys and girls. Male refugees are enrolling in secondary school at 36% compared to just 27% for female refugees. So I thought I'd just bring in that very small snapshot of the EIE context at the global level, um, mostly for the benefit of listeners who are not involved in this area directly. I'd now like to bring the focus specifically to Asia, and that's well, I'll bring you both in, especially Efren, as this is your area of expertise, to hear about this from your vantage point in Asia. So Efren, could you tell us a bit more about the EIE context in Asia, such as regional actors and priorities? Yeah, thank you, Carmen. Um, you know, globally, we're still experiencing uh, uh, um, learning crisis brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, in Asia, in Asia alone, um, the Asian Development uh, Bank made a study, and they were saying that in Asia, we we basically missed this. Our learners miss out about two hundred seventy-two instruction days on average, and South Asia, uh, were were part of our region, uh, had had the longest days of school closure, and that is three hundred seventy-five days. And Southeast Asia is 292 days. Um, this country includes uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar, and Philippines, who had the, the longest number of days uh, that were closed during the pandemic. And um, you know, there's a worldwide study showing that uh, a student actually lost half of a year's worth of learning. And so it's now called the learning crisis. No? And um, and most of the state or most of the countries are into back to business as usual. But actually, uh, it will be good to, to, to look at our situation in an emergency uh, education in emergency context. Uh, and ADB even uh, projected the, the effect of the learning lost uh, in, in the region. And, and that is uh, almost... Uh, um, equal to the amount of $1.25 trillion uh, uh, of losses in the developing Asia. So um, this is how important, you know, how important how we look at education in, in emergencies in the region of how, how, how can we prepare the teachers in responding to emergencies, how, we, how can we strengthen our uh, governments in responding to emergencies, and also uh, um, the continuous development of the engagement of civil society organizations working in the education sector, because the whole region is still facing the the, the effects of COVID nineteen, and we know all we we also know that the region uh, faces a lot of uh, a lot of cyclical. Um, uh, natural disasters. So uh, th and that includes, for example, last May 2023, we had the cyclone Mocha in Myanmar, and hundreds of thousands of people are, are affected, including children. Uh, last year in 2022, there are lots of flood uh, situation in Pakistan. And so 
and the, you know, there's uh, there's a big number of children uh, who are uh, who would be affected with a cyclical natural disasters in in the region, and so we we really need to prepare our ecosystem of the education sector to respond in emergencies. Um, but if I may add as well, uh, uh, common is that, you know, also as well, in some countries, we experience some peace and conflict situations. So for example, uh, in one of the biggest situations, for example, is the Rohingya refugee crisis that uh, in, 20, in the year 2023, we still have about half a million uh, refugee children are living in, in exile. And they still, they need, a continuing education delivery service uh, with this half a million uh, refugee children. Um, so the the it is very important to look at our education systems in in the region um, as well. Looking, we have to consider the cross cutting issues because the the situation in uh, the emergency or the COVID nineteen pandemic it highlights. It it exacerbated, I would say, the 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 condition uh, of uh, of the different countries. Uh, for example, uh, the condition of uh, uh, child early and forced marriage. For example, uh, Plan International were saying that uh, in countries like Bangladesh and Nepal and India had the highest number of child early and forced marriage uh, 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 incidents in, in among children. Uh, the other uh, cross-cutting issues that we can may think of is um, the child, uh, ch the issues of child labor. And I, ILO, the International Labor Organization, organization is saying that that in South Asian countries alone, there is an estimated 30 million children in employment and al almost 17 million in child labor and 50 million children out of school. And so these are important uh, issues that we need to consider in looking at how we respond in education in emergencies. Um, the, the third one I would say common is the issue of the number of children with disabilities in the region. We also need to consider that in looking at the education in emergencies uh, situation. Uh, UNICEF was saying that the estimate of uh, is 43 million children with disabilities living in East Asia and the Pacific. So uh, these are the three the, these are the things that we have to 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 consider, and I, um, what I am what what I observe actually is that the civil society organizations, the uh, uh, government, and and uh, and the, the different multilateral donors are working together to actually prepare the different state and nations uh, in the in the region uh, to 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 respond to emergency situation, uh, particularly in the sector of education. Thank you. Efren, thank you so much for taking us through that um, regional picture and sharing those startling statistics about the loss of instruction days, the impact of the pandemic 
obviously globally, but very much felt throughout the region, um, compounded by all of those complexities, including the cyclical emergencies and cross-cutting issues. So it's an incredibly complex picture um, requiring sort of multi-agency cooperation for response. I won't, as a layperson, I won't even know, can't even imagine how that coordinated effort is made in response. Um, so I just wondered if that sort of leads us to our next question, if you could um, enlighten us as to the role that we play, the HLA and Save the Children International, um, the role we play in, in education and emergencies work that, that is undertaken across the region in response to this. Please, Efren. Yeah, thank you, Carmen. Yeah, um, in in every in every country there is a a group called um, the education cluster, and normally the the in in most of the countries educate education clusters are led by UNICEF and by this by Save the Children. So, for example, in 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 countries like Nepal or Philippines, uh, the co-chair of of the education cluster is uh, Save the Children and UNICEF, and they work. Uh, as 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 chair class uh, as chair of the cluster, they work very closely with the government and with the civil society organizations, and that's why um, the humanitarian leadership academy, uh, our work in the professional uh, in EIE pro professional development program works closely with the Save the Children country offices where we have presence. And also we work closely with the education clusters. Um, and uh, we, we, we work with them in the professional development program. Uh, we provide trainings, um, we provide support, um, professional development support. Uh, and also uh, we are, uh, we are uh, working with national organization and local organization. And I think this is a, a very important uh, 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 part piece of it, um, as, as uh, uh, Soso mentioned, that I'm, uh, we are part of the partnership and localization hub of the region. And so in HLA, we, we focus on working with at least our target common uh, at least is to work with uh, at least 50% of our participants represents the uh, national and local organization working in the education sector or education in emergencies. And so basically that's where we work. That's the structure we interface with in this program. That's really, that's really encouraging and interesting to hear that working in partnership to localize the work is a big part of what you do. Um, capacity strengthening is obviously really fundamental to, to our work and mission. Um, that sort of brings me to my next question. So with the Education Emergencies Professional Development Programme that you mentioned, um, when I was sort of reviewing the information that we share there, uh, we state that a key part of being able to initiate, design and implement timely and quality education in emergency responses is having the education or EIE staff with the right competencies to do so. And it was that phrase, right competencies, that sort of jumped out at me. I just wondered if you could explain what these types of competencies are and is there a greater need for any of these uh, particular competencies in the current regional context in Asia that you've described 
Yes, Scamon. Uh, currently, uh, our team is conducting uh, um, training needs assessment and pretest, uh, pretesting of um, uh, 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 pretesting on uh, principles and, and processes of uh, of education in emergencies, and we are conducting it in at least three countries in in the region right now, and uh, most of the the. Uh, participants of our uh, assessment and participants of our training are either um, program implementers, program managers, or are trainers uh, in 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 their own countries. Uh, we have uh, we have from uh, Save the Children country offices. We have from UNICEF or international non government organization. Um, we also have from of course from the local uh, and national organization. And based on the on uh, your question is about the competencies and at least from the result that we we gathered. Um, recently, what I would say is that it is very uh, consistent that what the competencies that they 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 need to to improve on are are, the, are are actually five things. One is the they need to continuously review the EIE principles and standards related to the humanitarian and development continuum and i i, I uh, so we have a question re related to that and 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 we think that uh, at least from the result of our assessment this is where the, the sector needs to improve on second is they need to strengthen their understanding of cross-cutting issues in eie particularly in child safeguarding and as i mentioned earlier Kaman, the the the, the Asia region context has a lot of cross-cutting issues, uh, cross-cutting issues about gender, uh, cross-cutting issues about children with disabilities or child labor. And so it is very important as an education worker or as an education professional that you know how to integrate the principles of child safeguarding or other cross-cutting issues related to children's rights. Um, uh, so that you know how to, you know, to to include this in your curriculum design or in your teaching design, uh, or in your intervention at large, no, in 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 the education in emergency. So the cross cutting issues, the understanding of cross cutting issues is very important in this sector. The third one is the familiarity of the tools in needs assessment, in design, and evaluation of EIE activities. Um, I think that that's very important because, I, as I've said, most of our professionals engaged in our program are either managers, planners, or trainers. And so they need these tools. Uh, they need their skills. And the good thing about HLA and, and Save the Children is most of our uh, training materials are actually based on actual experience, actual field experience globally. And so it is an opportunity for us to, to, to share these uh, tools to improve competencies of EIE professionals. The fourth one would be um, equipping teachers, integrating in curriculum the mental health and psychosocial um, skills in EIE. I think this is... Uh, also because of the what our experience in the pandemic 
we realize that uh, the importance of integrating mental health and psychosocial support in all the things that we do, either developing a curriculum for children or uh, developing a training program for teachers in uh, education and emergency. So uh, I would say that mental health and psychosocial support is an emerging and it becomes a popular topic uh, in education and emergencies based on our assessment. And the last one uh, common is the uh, strengthening systems in working with parents, government, and civil society. We, we realized that, you know, based on our experience that doing education in emergencies, you cannot do it, do this alone. Uh, civil society organization, no matter how they, big they are and they are well equipped, they still need the support of the community, they need the support of the parents, they need the support of the government, you know, it, and that that's, that's why we work with education cluster in every country, because it's a multi-stakeholder uh, and a multi-partnership uh, form of collaboration. And so uh, those are the competencies uh, which are, that are highlighted in most of our assessment that we would like to pursue in most of our uh, development programs for EIE professionals. Thanks. That's great. Thank you, Efren. That, that's really interesting to hear how you and your colleagues have gone through the process of identifying the sort of priority themes uh, and competencies for the Asia region, because obviously we, we the HLA conducts EIE programming globally, but it's interesting to hear the priorities. And I thought it was particularly interesting how you mentioned that MHPSS, mental health and psychosocial, um, is a sort of growing priority and, and in the region. So that links to my next question. If I bring you back into the conversation, so-so, I'd be interested to hear more about this localization of EIE programs and training within the Asia region and how you how you go about doing this um, and possibly how that links to and contributes to localization ambitions that we have in the region. An example, Kaman, is that we recently developed a synergy plan for our HLA work and the CEDA-funded uh, civil society organizations capacity strengthening program being implemented in a number of countries uh, as well as at the regional level in Asia-Pacific. So the program looks into the child rights governance, civic space, climate action, gender equality, conflict sensitivity, and related advocacy, among other fields of work done by local and national actors in the region. By such a synergy plan, we'll be reaching some of our existing CSO partners under the CEDA program with the demand-driven education emergencies capacity support initiatives that Efren just talked about. Hence, the partner CSOs under the CEDA program will have the information about the available professional development programs to them and take opportunities to become part of such programs in EIE being those uh, fundamental courses or certification of advanced studies. So HLA will be supporting with strengthening the EIE work competencies of those partner grassroots organizations as Efren talked about as they are the frontline emergency responders requiring certain levels of skills and competencies to deliver uh, 
safe and adequate education in times of disasters and humanitarian crisis. Thank you. Efren, would you like to sort of build on what Soso has just introduced us to there? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, through the EIE PDP platforms, we aim to train uh, EIE practitioners in the region and ultimately build a community of practice at the national and regional level. And that's why I really work closely with my teammates and so so on, on, on the partnership uh, because we, you know, we share the same uh, databases, we share the same network uh, in uh, promoting uh, our work. Um, and uh, part of it is that uh, through the fundamental course, we train country offices staff and the members of the cluster uh, in education and in EIE um, uh, to for them, and we encourage them to 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 do the same training to other local and national organizations. So we, you know, we encourage them to do rollout, and we provide support. Like you know, they can use HLA materials for, uh, um, on EIE uh, to share. They can even contextualize it. They can even translate it. And you know, we we have very little minimal funds for translation, but I, I really love the idea of HLA translating uh, into local languages the, the, the materials that we are using for uh, the EIE fundamental course and uh, and also in the certificate of advanced studies and you know but um, that you know, I think that's part of the our localization. Um, we're we're starting in in Asia. We we tried it in in uh, Nepal. Our first group uh, of uh, EIE fundamental course training, and right now they are on their third month, and we will be doing a post three month survey to see how they they actually uh, uh, use what they have learned from the EIE fundamentals and how it was actually you know, widen our reach uh, among the, the, the national organizations in, in Nepal. And also to see, for us to see in HLA, uh, what can be our continuing, continuing support uh, to, the, to the country of Nepal and to the EIE uh, practitioners in, in, in the country. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Sounds such a, a busy time, but very fruitful time as well in terms of all the work and training that you're rolling out. Um, so yeah, very well done to you and the team for everything that you've achieved so far. So just looking ahead, what's coming up next in terms of EIE in Asia? Efren, would you like to sort of outline any key activities? Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, very, we're very excited. Uh, our, our team is like, so we still have two more face-to-face -face EIE fundamentals in two more countries in the region. Um, and we will be doing also one online EIE fundamental course for the East Asia and the Pacific, uh, because, you know, we realize that we're living in, 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 in different islands and it's, it's very challenging and also it needs a lot of resources to, to you know, organize them face to face. So we think of having an online for the whole East Asia and the Pacific. And uh, yeah, we got we got uh, at least five countries already on board, and we will start this in October. And of course, 
Kaman, we will be launching the EIE Certificate of Advanced Studies, and it will start on November 17 uh, this year. And to date, uh, I'll just share this with you. And so, so we received 45 applications to date. And in, very interesting, we got 66% of these 45 applications are male and 33% are female. And so we, you know, come on, we would like to have always a, a male-female ratio balance in our most of our programs. And this one very interesting, um, and I'm sure Soso will be happy with this. We got 19 rep representatives from national and local organization. It's even more from we have only 13 from international organizations. And so it's good that we are generating a lot of interest from our national and local organization for this program. And uh, the application will be closed on uh, September 17. So, yeah. And uh, what else? Um, for me, uh, what are the prospects as well for the EIEPDP in the region? Uh, I've been in the post for, for the last six months, and these are the, the opportunities that I think uh, we're seeing for this program. One is to expand our regional partnerships and build linkages with the existing education networks in the region. Um, recently, I, I've been meeting with the Safe Schools Network, uh, with the regional offices of UNICEF, um, also talking to the different education cluster, not just the education cluster chaired by UNICEF, some uh, UNICEF and Save the Children. There are some clusters that are chaired by other organizations. So there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to expand our partnership. The second one would be um, we're kind of looking at uh, building a partnership with universities and we are starting a, exploring partnership with the, the University of the Philippines College of Education and look at how can we influence uh, their curriculum in teaching certification uh, curriculum and to include education in emergencies in their program. And can they be part of our pool of lecturers in our Certificate of Advanced Studies? So it's in the initial stage of uh, talking uh, and having a conversation, but I think it's an opportunity uh, for HLA and EIEPDP to influence uh, teaching education institutions in the region. The third one is that building the community of practice of EIE practitioners. And I think by, by, by you know, doing different fundamental courses in different countries, having certificate of advanced studies, uh, it will be a good start of developing that build uh, community of practice. And in the future, we can have collaboration on different forums of different practices uh, in EIE. We can have collaborate uh, joint action research we can have you know joint training and advocacy activities um these are the these are the the prospects of the for eie pdp in the region thank you that's fantastic to hear very encouraging exciting to hear all, all the plans in the pipeline uh, it's it's a uh, what i can't grasp 
is the scope and scale of the work that you're all doing and you're a relatively small team as well um so it's 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 very interesting to hear and i know efren you you've gone out to other regions haven't you to support education emergencies work like were you there for the middle east and north africa uh certificate advanced studies residential so I just think yeah what what a busy team you all are um, so thank you so much for sharing these um, insights and perspectives with us it's been so interesting to hear about the ways that you work um, with clusters partners and government stakeholders um, and particularly how you've had to adapt to delivering very, very complex and challenging environments and settings like you touched upon um, at the start of this conversation. Um, personally, I find it very inspiring and humbling when I hear about this work that you and the team are all doing, um, as well as the personal commitment and energy that you all have to, to give to deliver these initiatives to ultimately improve and save lives. So before we wrap up our discussion today, is there anything that you would like to, to add or mention um, to let our listeners know? So, so. It's very exciting to hear from Efren that the most of the applicants to our upcoming uh, EIE PDP courses come from the national and local education actors that definitely falls under our strategic priorities around shifting the power to local and national actors. I would reiterate HLA's intention to scale up our reach with the EIE initiatives in the region, whether via internal to save the children and partners support or sector-facing initiatives. We'll seek for complementarities, task synergies between our development work, such as uh, the CETA CSO capacity strengthening program, or a reactive capacity strengthening in countries responding to emergencies and the EIE PDP initiatives. We as the Asia Pacific Localization and Partnership Hub team are committed to seeking for such opportunities to maximize the effectiveness of our uh, support to our country offices, their existing and potential partners going forward. We have a strong HLA team support in all aspects of our work in the region and with uh, that, I'm sure we'll increase our reach and we'll be harvesting evidence-based solutions to the EIE PDP needs in Asia Pacific. That's great. Thank you so, so. Efren, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, thank you, um, HLA, and thank you, Kamen, for this opportunity in sharing our start our startup initiatives for the EIE PDP in Asia. And, you, you know, for those uh, listening and interested in EIE, you, either you're an individual or an organization, uh, please reach out to HLA or to me uh, by, uh, you know, via our uh, social media accounts or send me an email and uh, we can explore partnerships uh, in, in our continuing work for education in emergencies in the region. And that's all. Thank you, Kamen. That's brilliant. Thank you, Efren. So thank you to you both for all the work that you do, as well as your colleagues, and for sharing your journey so far with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for today's discussion on fresh humanitarian perspectives from the Humanitarian Leadership Academy.